Before we begin today's podcast, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, as well as the traditional custodians of the land wherever you listen to this podcast. We acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded and that this always was and always will be the land, skies and water of these peoples. Welcome to our third instalment of Flourishing and Floundering, the podcast where we hear stories that are often left untold, those of resilience, those of courage, and those of overcoming challenges and hardship. I'm your host, Isabel Michael, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Chloe Harpley. Chloe is a fifth-year law and arts student here at the ANU, majoring in English and Anthropology. As a regional student, she was the first in her family to attend university, and as someone who was of low socioeconomic status, Chloe's introduction to university was not all smooth sailing. Chloe is also the founder of Books for the Bush, a not-for-profit initiative that aims to provide books and educational resources to regional communities affected by this year's tragic bushfires. As someone who is passionate about the power of education to build stronger and more resilient people and communities, Chloe should be so proud of the thousands of dollars she's raised for these schools and students. Chloe grew up in Wagga Wagga, a regional centre of the Riverina, and is no stranger to the feeling of being a small fish in a big pond, to overcoming failure, and to the struggle of maintaining a balance between study, life, and being true to yourself. So, without further ado, let's hear from the wonderful, community-minded, open book that is Chloe Harpley. Chloe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Isabel. Oh, it's great to have you here. So I wanted to start today by talking a little bit about your childhood. So could you tell me about growing up in the country and some of your early school life? Yeah, so I grew up grew up just on the outskirts of, of Wagga Wagga with a huge extended family in Tamora, which is about 45 minutes out of Wagga, town of about 6,000 people. So I went to a small primary school of only 100 kids um, with, and then went on to the public high school of 1,000 kids. So we were really a close-knit community growing up. Um, I also spent a lot of time down at Burrinjuk Dam, which is about an hour out of um, Canberra. So from there, we have people from all walks of life and we spent our days kind of riding bikes and water skiing and running around in the dirt so yeah I had a real country upbringing thankfully. Yeah that sounds like so much fun. So how then did you make the decision to come to ANU? Was it always the place that you wanted to come or did you always know you wanted to come to university? I knew that I always wanted to leave Wagga. Um, <laughs> like a lot of kids growing up in the country, um, we can view our, our hometowns as, as quite a restriction. You know, there's limits to what we can do. And particularly for me, although I had um, Charles Sturt University just up the road, I couldn't study law there. And since, well, lucky I didn't study arts there, there because they've since cut their arts degree. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, which is terribly unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I always knew that my options were limited and and I just wanted to experience something bigger and what at the time seemed better than, than a small regional town. So I 
honestly wanted to go somewhere like Sydney or Melbourne. Um, I felt that real pull to the city. But um, I was lucky enough halfway through year 12 to be offered the Tuckwell Scholarship, um, which I, yeah, accepted. And that enabled me to move to Canberra and go to college and have all the wonderful experiences I've had. Yeah. So for our listeners that don't know, what is the Tuckwell Scholarship? Um, So the Tuckwell Scholarship is a program that offers financial assistance, as well as mentoring and kind of community um, support. So it's not an equity scholarship. It's open to people from all walks of life. Um, and I was just one of the country kids lucky enough to get it. Wow, wonderful. I don't think it's luck, though. There's a huge <laughs> process for that, so it's amazing. Um, do you remember your very first day at ANU? Can you describe it for me? Yes, I remember it very vividly. There was quite a lot of, um, you know, not tension leading up, but um, I'm the oldest in my family. So the idea of me moving away was was quite stressful for my younger brother and my parents. Um, so it was very emotionally turbulent. But yeah, I've got um, a strange memory of driving into Canberra and coming just through Murrin Bateman there where you have all of the, the tall trees lining the road and, and kind of having this overwhelming emotional response and being like, wow, wow, I am really moving. Um, And yeah, that's very vivid. And I also remember um, rocking up at Bruce Hall. And luckily, um, with the Tuckwell Scholarship, you come and do an interview weekend in July. So you kind of come onto campus and you have a look at the colleges, you meet a few uni students. And I'd met one person um, by the name of Mary, and she's from Townsville originally, so another country kid. And I remember walking across by myself across the lawns at the original Bruce Hall and feeling quite daunted. And then all of a sudden, her face popping up in front of me and her just giving me this big hug and taking me into the reception. And, and from there, it was smooth sailing. I, yeah. I made friends on the first day and and it was it was wonderful. But I, I distinctly remember having the support of another country kid there in a yeah. familiar face, making the world a difference. That's so important. Yeah. Um, so you've said that one of your greatest challenges of first year was um, failing a subject. Mm. After growing up, you know, in a, an environment where you probably were always very successful in everything that you did, can you explain to me the value that you now see in that failure? Yeah, yeah. Well, ironically, I actually failed um, Foundations of Australian Law, which, really yeah, yeah, <laughs> awful, awful subject. Well, no. Um, <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, my uh, foundations, uh, con- course conveners aren't listening. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in in retrospect, it, it, it put me in my place, to be honest. Um, it was the first time I'd ever really struggled with academics. Um, And I think that's a kind of a realisation every kid needs to have or every adult needs to have is is that there are people that are smarter than you. There are things you don't know. Um, And I think when you've grown up in the country and you've been quite academic, it's kind of easy to forget that, to be honest, sometimes. Um, Yeah. And it also taught me a lot about reaching out for help. Um, the reason I failed Foundations of Australian Law was that I came to uni, got so caught up in the freedom and the friends and the social life. I partied really hard. I wasn't eating very well at yeah. college. Um, I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't studying. Yeah. Um, and in all honesty, I just had a bit of a mental breakdown. Um, as someone that had never reached out for mental health support when I should have as an adolescent, um, it was the first time I reached out to a psychologist, reached out to people in the Tuckwell program or, um, you know, someone in a noosa for support um so that really started that journey of 
wait, it's all right to ask for help. I don't need to do this by myself anymore. Yeah, definitely. Mm. That's such an important lesson to learn. Um, so you've spoken about growing up near Wagga, a regional community. You're the first in your family to come to university. Your family identifies being at low SES, and these are all things that are big barriers to coming to university. Mm. What are some of the challenges that come with this that people may not consider? So one of the biggest things for me was um, noticing this huge wealth disparity with people. Um, and it was something that that kind of made me feel quite awkward in a, in a lot of social interactions. Yeah. Um, I think I really undervalued the extent to which your background and your upbringing shapes your values. Mm. So I was noticing all of these disjuncts with people that came from quite well-off privileged backgrounds and and my core values, you know, mm-hmm. things like things like charity mm-hmm. and things like helping one another out in a crisis. Yeah. When you've grown up in a low socioeconomic status, you know, you've grown up in that environment where you, not only you need help but your family members not, might need help, you know people that need help, you've just grown up and that's just the norm. Yeah. Whereas for a lot of people that kind of haven't grown up in that environment, it's it's a completely foreign thing and, it, and it's not something people actively engage in. So I felt that I kind of lost that part of myself to a degree. It's um, when you've, you know, desired this change of lifestyle your whole life from being a country kid to to living in the city and having money and being able to do things like I don't know just like go to museums or music concerts or or whatever um you know it's that old the grass is greener on the other side but I don't know I felt like I kind of forgot those core values there for quite some time and it took me a few years at uni to to kind of uncover those again yeah Mm. yeah definitely what about being first in family? What are some of the things that come with that? Was it hard for your parents to sort of relate to what, you know, you were going through at university and the challenges that you might have been facing academically? Particularly because I found my parents, they were like, no, you're so bright, you can do it. And I was like, no, this is a different level of academics. This is, like, I'm not compared <laughs> to everyone else. Definitely. You know, that is that 100% something I can relate to. Um, and it's... It's kind of like you can explain it as many times as you want, yeah. but unless they've experienced it, it's really hard for them to understand. And it's it's quite unfortunate because, like, you see them trying really yeah. hard to, to do so, but yeah. but it is hard for them to, to relate. Yeah. Um, and even just to grasp, I think the biggest thing is, like, a lot of people in the country just view university as, like, the place you go to get your degree to get your job, mm-hmm. you know, um, whereas unis are a lot more like a – it's a, it's a vastly holistic experience it's not just going to class and learning things you know it's all about those interactions and it's what you're reading and what you're experiencing all the same so um I feel like particularly as my worldview has kind of changed and my values have changed through what I've been exposed to at university that in itself has been quite hard for for family and friends back home to grasp because it's kind of like well how does just like going to uni and like going to classes like change a person this much and it's like well no it's your whole worldview view changes Mm. yeah yeah definitely um so I found that one of the most daunting things about coming to university was leaving the group of friends that I'd known since preschool, really. Mm. Um, was this something that you were nervous about? And if so, how did you get through it? 
Yeah, so for me, that was very, very daunting. But in all honesty, as soon as I arrived at Bruce Hall, I made friends. I am quite a social person, but I think also just that college environment is so cohesive to making really good friends straight away. Well, it can be very, um, very conducive to that. So within the first couple of days, I had two best friends and I had a whole big group of other friends. I was really lucky in that in that regard to the degree that in all honesty, I probably forgot about my friends back home uh, a bit, you know. Yeah. Again, it's that whole the grass is greener on the other side. Um, so, yeah, I kind of lost contact with some of those friends back home, which is something that in the last year or two I've kind of reconnected, yeah. which is which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the things that you've spoken a little bit about now is – sort of reconciling the you that existed in your hometown and the you that exists now that you've been so shaped by your university experience. How do you find a balance between those two people and how do you, you know, also stay true to who you are now? Mm, I think that's a lifelong struggle, honestly, is like finding that authentic version of yourself. And I don't know, I'm guessing it's a, a thing a lot of country kids can relate to, but your worlds can be at opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, your world at university and your your world back home. Um, and sometimes it is really hard. You do feel like you're performing in one role or the other. Um, but I guess for me, it's just been this process of really embracing myself, getting comfortable with myself, and then just presenting that to the world and just if the people back home don't like it or if the people in Canberra don't like it, then that's their problem, not mine, yeah. um, which is a really empowering realisation yeah. to, to have. And mm. did that come after first year? Like, has this been something that you've come to? Well after first year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of had a really bad period um, halfway through third year mm-hmm. where essentially my life just got turned upside down. I hit rock bottom physically. I hit rock bottom mentally. Um, I lost all of those, you know, wonderful friends that I made during first year uni. Um, For a whole bunch of reasons this happens. It's just sometimes, you know, life needs to to shift. So it's been a process of really rebuilding um, from that point. And that's something a lot of people talk about in in third year is you kind of, you're halfway through your degree or you're two thirds of the way through and and things get a bit much. Um, so yeah, for me, it's it's been a process of, of active work, of, of self-work, of reflection and, and yeah, re- really, yeah, just working on myself, I guess. Yeah, great. That's something that I guess we all have to do. Mm. It's, a, it's a process. Yes, it is. So, you've spoken about beginning your time at ANU on campus at Bruce Hall, and you now mm. live off campus. So, can you tell me a little bit about both of those experiences and how they compare for you? Yeah, yeah. So, living on campus, going to college, one of the best experiences of my life, hands down, would recommend, I think, everyone, if they're financially able, is the, the caveat to that. I could only do that because I had a scholarship. Yeah, um, yeah highly would recommend. Um, but the thing with college is you don't get a lot of your own time 
or space. Um, you're living with between two and 500 other people. Mm-hmm. You're eating all your meals with them. You're going to classes with them. It's just you become so immersed in other people's worlds that sometimes you forget you've got your own, um, which is something I struggled with, but I also loved. Um, and I think for a short time, that's brilliant, but it's definitely not sustainable. Um, so I kind of then went from college to a share house, which was awesome. And then not so awesome. Um, yeah, you can be told not to move in with your friends a million times, but until you do it, you never know. And you know, you never learn. Um, yep. You told me so mum and dad. Um, but yeah, now I live in a, um, just a house with my partner, which is, is awesome. But the living situation is such an individual journey for everyone. Some people move into college, don't make any friends and hate it from day one. Like it's, it's all about what you want, but what I wish I'd done in hindsight has been a little bit more intentional in my decision making about where I wanted to live I feel like I went to college because everyone was going to college I didn't really think about what I I wanted out of that experience I moved into a share house with my friends because everyone was doing that at the end of second year I didn't really think about what I needed in a living scenario Um, it wasn't until I moved in with my partner that I went okay this is what I want to do so I, I guess that's it it's really easy with uni to kind of just go with the flow, go with what everyone else is doing. But um, I just wish I'd, yeah, been a little bit more intentional in my decision making um, throughout <laughs> Again, that period. A learning process. Definitely. So, <laughs> like those mistakes. so where to from here? You do law and arts. Where is the world going to take you? Do you think? Where would you like it to take? I have no idea. The more I learn, the less I know for sure, honestly. And especially with the world as turbulent as it is at the moment, I have no idea. Um, You know, I guess this kind of (laughs) brings in um, books for the bush, but, you know, I started that back in January just to respond to the bushfire crisis. And now, eight months later, we're responding to floods and a global pandemic and a whole bunch of things. So I'm super aware that the world is is um, in a fragile state at the moment, so I'm quite hesitant, in all honesty, to make any kind of plans. Yeah, no, that's mm. completely fair enough. Our podcast is named Flourishing and Floundering because we like to think that you can be both and neither at the same time. Do you think that first year Chloe flourished or floundered? And if you could give her a piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, definitely both. And, and often at the same time, yeah. I think, you know, like a prime example of this is I talk about how I um, slept through most of torts law. Yes. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Friday 8 a.m. Yeah, so. yeah. If, if I was even at the lecture, like I was asleep. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I was like floundering academically, yeah. but I was flourishing socially. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> you can be two seemingly antithetical things mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, but the bit of advice I would give my first year self is just to take care of you first and foremost. Um, I've only recently learned that, you know, you should fill your own cup up first and the overflow is what's for other people, not the contents of your own cup. Um, that and also learning to say no. I had a whole year last year, it was my year of saying no, where I just really sat down and thought about everything everything that was suggested to me you know projects or whatever and if my reaction was an instant yes absolutely I'm keen on this 
didn't even touch it. So just little things like that um, would have made the world a difference, I think, to to those first couple of years at uni. Yeah. Mm. No, I, I think saying no is so important. To finish today, I wanted to talk about your latest venture, Books for the Bush. How did that get started and what are you aiming to do? Yeah, so I started Books for the Bush, as I said, in January when the bushfire started. Um, I was back home in Wagga when the Duns Road fire near Tumbarumba and Tumut and Adelong started, um, which was quite distressing. I have, you know, a lot of friends down there um, and whatever else. So then I came back from the Riverina back to Canberra. The South Coast fires had started by that point. So I kind of felt like in the middle of this horrific scene um and I think the distance from home really made it hard as well and I was sitting there in such a state of distress at 22 years old at the time and just thinking if I'm feeling like this how the hell must kids be doing like I just couldn't fathom being five or 10 or 15 years old and you know it was those there were those pictures from um the beach in like Malakuda that really got me, which was, you know, parents like holding their tiny ones mm-hmm. as the sky is like red and, you know, the fire's coming over the hill and it's just waiting for a boat to come. Exactly. It's just horrific. And I just couldn't believe that that children in Australia were facing that reality um and the other side of it at that point it was like five weeks until school was meant to start which you know I was like well that's stressful enough how is this going to to work so I got in touch with a few schools um and started books for the bush by sending back to school packs to a bunch of schools which then expanded out into individual families getting in touch um and yeah then COVID happened well then floods happened then COVID happened then more floods so we've kind of actually been in a state of crisis response now for eight months or so um yeah eight months and so are you sending care packs to affected by all of those things yeah yeah well we're we're still prioritizing our bushfire affected communities but Mm -hmm. the vast majority of bushfire affected communities have been like affected by these these consecutive compounding crises like you know Batemans Bay we have outbreaks of COVID in Mm -hmm. the primary school and the high school and they were affected by floods and fires and uh, yeah exactly exactly and that's that's universal that's from right down you know Cabago Malacuta all the way up to you know Bowerville on the New South Wales Queensland border all the way across to Kangaroo Island like it is a universal kind of problem so yeah we're um sending everything from school supplies to essential winter clothing linen blankets reusable face masks secondhand laptops ipads like whatever they need um i try and meet um so our trajectory for books for the bush has kind of been a bit stunted i was planning to have all of this you know officially incorporated and registered um and i do have a wonderful team of anu law students working on that for me but um we've just been flat out um but i guess the reason I started it was just to to provide that support, just to let those kids know and their families know that, hey, all of this is going down, but there are people that care about you. There are people that will be there to support you. And at the time, I couldn't have couldn't have grasped the the gap that was going to exist with government support, with charity support. Um, and then obviously the fact that the recovery never happened because a pandemic did instead. Um, so, yeah. The, the nature of the, the charity is constantly evolving as the situation 
does. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So how are you mobilising this? How, where are you getting all these supplies? Are people donating supplies or are you buying them with donated funds? Both, both. So we operate through Facebook um, at the moment until we get a website and Instagram and all of that sorted. But, um, yeah, so we've got kind of community outreach going in, mainly Wagga and Canberra. Um, but then I'm just in a whole bunch of different community groups for all of the South Coast region and, you know, the Riverina and Victoria and so I do my reach out directly to communities there, kind of check in with them every couple of weeks, see what they need, stay up to date with what's going on locally. And then I have some volunteers in Wagga and Canberra that do things like make masks or, you know, might do a delivery down the coast for me or whatever. Um, yeah, so it's it's a big community effort. It's kind of nationwide, got people helping in person, remotely, whatever. But yeah, definitely had to adapt as, as COVID hit to, to how we were operating yeah. this. That's yeah. so incredible that you've mobilised such a huge amount of people. It's just incredible. Mm, thanks. Um, it's such an important mission and education is such a powerful tool for empowering ourselves and our rural communities. So how can we and our listeners support Books from the Bush and in turn all of the amazing change this campaign is making to the lives of bushfire affected well, the best uh, way to do that is to like us on Facebook, mm-hmm. firstly, um, and then you can send an email to Books for the Bush, which is books letter for uh, sorry number four the Bush at gmail.com If you're interested in getting involved with anything, so that's everything from the legal team to social media, website design. Um, if you want to help with fundraising or supplies or whatever, um, yeah, because that's the thing, right? Like. These kids are all rural, regional and remote kids anyway. They're already low, like low socioeconomic status. Um, we're helping a lot of Aboriginal communities. These people are already so disadvantaged and they've just been pushed further down the ladder by these, you know, natural disasters or climate-induced disasters and, and, and COVID. So as kids from country areas or, you know, us as adults from country areas, like, I feel like we've kind of got a responsibility to help them. Like we know how hard it is growing up, let alone without all of this extra stuff on top of it. So in that regard, I'm always open to ideas. Like I'm collaborating with a lot of community groups. Um, And yeah, so if you've got something you can bring to the table, like if you're involved in an organization, a NUSA, whatever, um, got an idea, want to run a project, bring it up and like, we'll make it happen. That's kind of how I operate. (laughs) That's so exciting. And yeah, please get involved, any of our wonderful listeners that are hearing Chloe today. Chloe, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for for the opportunity to talk about Books of the Bush and growing up as a regional kid. That's been so wonderful. Thank you for joining me today on this instalment of Flourishing and Floundering for another story of resilience and success. I hope that you've loved from hearing from Chloe today as much as I have and that, like me, you feel inspired to continue to be an advocate for our beautiful rural communities and for education more broadly. Please tune in next week. But in the meantime, do us a favour and subscribe or give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have a few spare dollars this week, you've bought four coffees instead of five, then why not donate whatever you can to a wonderful cause? Head to Books for the Bush Facebook page or www.chaff.org slash project slash book for the bush school crisis appeal. Bye for now.